0: The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. Time. Time is not on your side, detective. For as the new moon rises unseen in the darkness, a pair of hateful eyes stare up at the Montgomery Police Department. Is there any hope in saving them? Especially since you barely escaped death yourself? <laughs> and what good is this mystic if he's leaving everything in your hands, hmm, detective? So far, things are looking bleak, (laughs) bleak indeed, as tonight, we summon forth things that crawl, things beyond our comprehension. A quick reminder that this podcast does contain some images of graphic violence, child endangerment, and salty, naughty language. It may not be suitable for children under the ages of 13. Now... Grab your tentacles, your loved ones, and settle in for another exciting episode, as we rejoin the story with Chapter 9, Devastation. (laughs) Detective Rogers watched the night sky and listened in anticipation. A clap like thunder broke the stillness, and he grinned as he saw the flash of yellow light up the night sky. He wished he could have seen the look on Detective Stephen's face, that arrogant smile and calmness gone in a flash. He had waited so long for that moment. He thought back to before, before he had become. He could still see himself, a small child playing in the field. "'Timmy!' Timmy, a young woman's voice called out to him as he played near a small pond under the willow tree. Yes, Mom? Be careful not to go in the water. I will, Mom. The sun was eclipsed by the branches and he looked mesmerized at his hands as the dots of sunlight streamed through the branches. He loved lying there, staring up at the endless blue sky. A frog hopped near him and he quickly turned over and marveled at it its light brown eyes winking in the sunlight as it croaked, ignoring him, jumping forward. Hello, Mr. Toad, he said. Will you be my friend? But it just hopped towards the pond. Mimicking the frog and crouching down on all four as he giggled and hopped behind it. Ribbit? Ribbit? He paused as the ground grew damp and muddy and looked at his hands and shoes. They were now stained in a thick brown mud. He frowned as the frog continued to hop away. "'Sorry, Mr. Toad,' he called out. "'I can't go any further.' "'Why not?' an icy voice called from over the water. "'My mommy says I can't go in the water,' he answered. "'But you said you wanted to play with me. "'Be my friend.' "'I I do, I do.' "'Then hop closer,' the voice called. "'Play with me.' "'Okay, I will. "'Just a little further.' Just please don't tell my mom. I won't, I promise, the voice answered. It sent chills down his spine, but he wanted to play so badly, to be friends. He hopped closer. The mud got deeper and harder to move in. He could see the water pooling around him in the tall grass. Come closer. You're almost there. He swallowed hard and took another hop and realized he was sinking. He tried to call out to his mom, but mud filled his mouth. He couldn't breathe and he began to panic. It's okay, little one, he heard it say. Drink me in. He tried not to. He locked his mouth shut, but he was sinking deeper. The water and mud was squeezing him tighter. Then he saw her. She was unusually tall, slender, her skin a bluish white. A reddish aura glowed around her, and she reached out to Timmy, smiling. Her smile... It looked wrong, but it drew him in, the same way the voice had. Her hand reached out to him and he took it. It grabbed him firmly and she pulled him to her icy chest. "'If you like,' she said. "'We can be friends forever, Timmy. "'I can give you toys, friends, and wonders no one else can have. "'Would you like that?' The child nodded, not really understanding what the pale lady was proposing." Then drink me in, Tim. All of me. Let me fill you and I'll show you wonders. His mouth opened under the continuing pressure. The dark liquid filled his lungs and stomach. He wanted to retch but couldn't. He continued falling, falling, and then all went dark. A few minutes later, he woke next to the pond. His mother was crying calling to him as she bent over him, pressing on his chest, breathing air into his lungs. He began to cough, to sputter, and air began to fill him once more. She backed off. Oh, thank God. Thank God you're alive, she said, crying out loud. Thank God. She held him. She hugged him. She didn't notice how cold he had become. It's okay, Mom, he said. I'm fine. You can let go. He wanted her to let go. He wanted to push her off. He wanted to. He hated her. Relax, little one, the voice, the same one from before. All in good time. Be at peace for now. Grow big. Grow strong for me, okay? It was mingled with another voice, the wretched voice of his mother, begging him, pleading him to stay away from the pond. He answered them both. Yes. Yes, I promise. As the years passed and his parents slept, he would wait until nightfall to wander out to the pond and bathe in it. Doing as he promised, he grew bigger and stronger. As the inky black ooze filled him, and hatred to those things he called parents grew. Then, on a moonless night in October, she called to him once more. Timmy, my Timmy, come bathe in me. I want to be with you. He rose from his bed, now eighteen, soon to enter college. He made his way across the field to the muddy rim of the pond. Stripping down, he stepped into the cool liquid viscous as it radiated the same reddish glow that she had embodied that night he had been reborn. You have done well, my child. The woman who had called to him stood with him once more, unchanged from that night, her cold skin touching his own and like a snake she coiled around him. She pressed herself against him and soon they were bound together in a strange embrace. His body felt as if it was on fire as they pushed and pulled like the waves under the moon until she finally cried out and fell silent in his arms. He looked at her pale skin with awe. He had only dreamt of such passion, dreamt of being with her. Now, my Tim, tonight you can shed off that human facade and in the morning reveal yourself to those mortals. He smiled as she pulled away from him and began to back away from the dark water. But, after that, I need to do one more thing. What, my love? Anything? That's my boy. There's a man I want you to meet. To befriend. He has become a problem for us, and I want him eliminated. Who, my lady? He is known as Warren Stevens. He did as she asked, intermingling with Detective Stevens, allowing himself to appear as his friend in hopes of becoming his partner in a few years. Fate hadn't permitted that. Rich Donaldson had achieved that first. He still had a chance, though. It was three years ago. Imagine his disappointment when he failed to kill the detective and only managed to kill his wife, Karen, and son, Jack, instead. He smiled at her surprised face when she managed to catch a glimpse of him in the mirror as he first snapped Jack's neck before cutting her own. He remembered how she tried to reach back in futility to protect Jack, the car swerving, running off the road, slamming full force into an old oak tree. How she sat there, blood running down her face, teeth broken, mouth bleeding as she looked at him, pleading, Why? Yes, being a member of the force had allowed him to get close to the detective to help the cause of Cassandra and the Kajig Order. The twelve children he helped snatch and sacrifice to his beloved Igyatsu. Twelve, one for each month of the year. Twelve, the age meant for atonement. Twelve, the hour on the moonless night that he could achieve more than greatness. He looked up at the glowing blue sign that read Montgomery Police Department and smiled. They only had themselves to blame, he thought. If they had done what Master Rune had asked, they wouldn't need to be sacrificed. But they were a stupid, stubborn people. And now, now he would offer them up to Ikyatsu. Tonight, yes, tonight, Halloween, as the day ended and the veil grew thin, as humans put on their masks to imitate the old ones, the forgotten ones, the fallen ones. He could take off his own mask. How he hated them. He hated their mockery. The clock in the old church chimed as he began to climb each step. One. Two. Three. Four. Continuing until finally it reached eleven. One hour to go. Now he would open the door with his blood, with his life force, so that he, the one who crawls between the worlds, would come forth. A fitting end, he thought. He thought about the old biblical phrase and he spoke it softly to himself as he opened the heavy wooden doors. And we'll throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He could show them just how powerless their God is. How Ikyatsu would be an end to them, to him and all things. Daniel sat up and looked absolutely relieved as Roger stepped through the door. Oh! Thank God! We had several officers out looking for you. For me? Doing his best bashful act as he pushed his hair back with a blush. Good gravy. I'm sorry, Daniels. I got caught up at the hospital and then dozed off at home. I didn't even realize the time. Well, you could have at least answered your cell. Dead. I forgot to charge it. Well, I guess that explains things. "'Oh, I guess you missed Detective Stevens and Donaldson, too. "'When you didn't answer and the hospital said you had left hours ago, "'they raced to your house to check in on you.' "'Yeah, yeah, I guess I did,' he said, looking embarrassed "'and trying to hide his amusement "'that he had also managed to catch Donaldson in his trap. "'I guess we must have crossed paths.' "'Well,' Daniels continued. "'Let me page the chief. "'He's been sleeping in his office waiting for you to get back. "'Boy, Rogers, we were all worried about you.' Thanks, buddy. I'm sorry it caused such a fuss, but hold off on waking the chief, okay? First, I need the keys to the evidence locker. I remembered something very important about that tablet from my last case, and I wanted to get a closer look. Confirm my suspicions, okay? Oh, yeah, sure, Daniel said, rummaging through his desk and pulling forth the keys. After I'm done, I'll stop in and I'll go over everything with the chief, I promise. A call came in as Tim began to walk past the desk. There's been an explosion at 1406 Pond Grove. Fire trucks are en route now. Please send a squad car to help lock down the area. Copy that, Daniels said. Sending someone now. 1406 Pond Grove. Hey, Tim, isn't that... (sighs) Ah, shit. Sorry, Daniels. I didn't think that part through. Something hot ran through Daniel's neck and without a word or a cry for help, his entire world swirled and everything went dark. He wasn't supposed to be the first sacrifice, Tim thought. But that didn't matter. They were all marked for death tonight. Master Rune had ensured that with his little gift from earlier. He dragged the body from behind the desk and pulled it into the waiting room where no one would be looking, not at this time at night. Then he headed down the hall, past the chief's door, and towards the chain-link fence that made up the cage or evidence locker. The two half-asleep officers immediately popped to their feet. Detective Rogers! Hey, guys, he jingled the keys. I just need to check out that tablet Detective Stevens dropped off last night. Oh, sure. No problem, sir. They parted as he approached the cage and undid the deadbolt lock. Rogers turned to the younger of the two officers and said, Sid, right? Yes, sir. Can you hold this for me? The young man moved in and said, Yes, sir, I'd be. His eyes went wide as he bent over, blood spilling out of his mouth. Sid! The other officer exclaimed and ran to assist, right into the arms of the expected Detective Rogers. Sorry, Sean. As he bashed his face into the wall behind him, a trail of blood flowing from his head as he slid to the floor. Blood dripped off the knife used to kill Sid. It was a long, cruel blade. The handle much like the stone statue of the but instead of many stalks, only one yellow eye. He licked the blade clean and took off his shirt, tossing it onto the head of Sean, whose gaze still remained in a blank, accusing stare. The black tablet began to glow, the same reddish color that Cassandra had glowed on the day he had been reborn. He lifted up the knife and ran it across his chest. From his shoulder, past his sternum, to his right ab. A dark line of deep red blood spread across him and he took it and splashed it onto the tablet set before him. Allah, Ikyatsu. Mano Ikyatsu. Kodem, Ikyatsu. The building trembled and Rogers turned away, heading back out of the cage. What was that? he heard someone exclaim. An earthquake? Another voice questioned in the darkness behind him. Then came the first terrified scream, followed by, Oh God! What? What is that? Christ! Get it off me! Oh God! Oh God, please! No! The sound of someone moving fast and opening a door met his ears, and he could hear the chief calling out to him from down the hall. Rogers! Is that you? What the hell's going on? When did you get back? Rogers just flipped into the bird and kept walking past the empty desk. The chief turned his attention away from the big man as the cries of help and screams continued to erupt from deeper within the station. Jesus, what the fuck? Several large purple and green tentacles emerged from the darkness, feeling their way along the walls, sniffing the air, eyes rolling, churning, looking. The chief pulled out his gun and fired off a couple of shots into one of the flailing tentacles. But almost in a mockery of his defiance, another tentacle emerged around the half-eaten body of Officer Jackson. She was trying to breathe, asking for help. Please kill me. She barely managed. He aimed the gun, but not at her. He saw the one shot, the only hope that he could muster in all this horror, and took the shot. As he did, he looked at her pleading eyes and mouthed the words, "'Forgive me.'" Rogers heard the first shots by the chief. "'Fool. Only old. Forgot the magic could turn this. Stop this.'" As he stepped through the lobby, he eyed Staff Sergeant Daniels somehow still alive, crawling his way back to the desk in a vain attempt to call for help. He looked up at Rogers, his hand on his throat as blood poured through his fingers. You would have been better off dying before. But it's over now, Daniels. He has you. A look of uncertainty turned into utter fear as a tentacle coiled around his foot and dragged him into the darkness. It was a shame he wouldn't be able to hear him scream. Another shot rang out in the darkness behind him. I guess he'll never learn. Again, the building rumbled. Just as he began to push the large wooden doors open, he could hear the sound of rushing wind approaching, something hot rushing towards him. The concussion blew him and the doors down the steps as fire erupted in every direction. Pieces of cement, glass, and wood flying in the air. As he hit the bottom step, he could barely make out the collapsing structure, the tentacles receding into it. His body hurt. He couldn't move. As the world began to gray out, his mind racing, what had happened? How did they manage to? Then, as he lost consciousness, he realized the gas lanterns had gone out. Detective Stevens pulled the unconscious body of Detective Donaldson out of the car and placed him into the arms of a waiting nurse. Don't worry, sir. We'll get him taken care of. Thank you. I know you will. It was then he heard a sound like thunder as everyone turned in a hush. Oh no. Oh my God, is that? As they all turned and looked up Leeds Boulevard, a glow lit the night sky. It was the police station. It was burning. Without a word, without a pause, he got back into the car and screeched off and up Leeds, tears streaming down his face as he could hear the church clock chiming off the last of the tones, signifying midnight. So Igyatsu has come forth at last from the depths, bringing death to all those trapped inside the police station. He always puts me in the mood for Italian and some calamar. (laughs) Luckily for us, our hero is dropping off the wounded Detective Donaldson. Knowing all this, though, can Jonah really afford to stay on the sidelines after such a horror has been brought forth? Hmm? Or does he have something up his sleeve? It seems there are many more layers to this than just a simple detective story. (laughs) As we delve deeper with Chapter 10, Jonah Hollander.